0: our series Moving Forward. Uh, it was a three-part series, so if you weren't with us, uh, just a quick recap of what we were, we've been looking at as a church is this idea of moving forward rather than moving on. And so the idea there is that God has worked in our lives in such a way that the things that happen are part of his intentional plan. And so that we don't forget what he's done in the past, instead as we look towards the future, we move forward instead of moving on. We remember what God has done and we move forward in light of it. And so we looked at three different things. We looked at God's unchanging nature. We looked at the unchanging God in the midst of change and, and how our hope is in him Despite the many things that can change in our lives, we, we hope and we trust in the God who never changes. And then we looked the next week at the unchanging mission, because as a church, we don't change what we're about. We're about Jesus and his mission, and so we look forward in light of what God has been doing, and we noted that God has been at work in this community of faith since 1845, over 170 years. He's been working out his mission in this place, and so... We looked at the unchanging mission and then last week Andrew helped us look at the unchanging command because what we look forward to is the fact that obedience to God doesn't change. His will for us does not change. His will for us is to love him with everything that we are and that we would love those around us out of an outflow of our love for him. And so we looked at those three things and over the last few weeks, and, and then looking forward, um, there, there have been certain things on, on my heart, and Cameron's heart, and Andrew's, and, and that we've prayed about for weeks and months, and, and those were three of those things. And then now, as we look at this week, if you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, uh, we're going to be looking at the first couple of versions, verses of Ephesians, where we'll look at... Uh, what God has done in bringing together a people. What God has done in bringing together a people, bringing them back to himself in relationship with him, and then also uniting them in that same faith to one another. And so the book of Ephesians is this incredible work that Paul has written a letter to churches uh, all around the surrounding area of Ephesus, and then that still speaks to us today because it speaks about the things that we most need in life and the things that we most need in our churches. And so as we look at Ephesians together, together, just like we looked at three intentional things these last few weeks, we're looking at something today that you and I need in our lives from God. And so if you'll look at Ephesians 1 with me, we'll begin in that first verse there. Here's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful for your word today. And we're thankful for the Apostle Paul that you worked uh, miraculous things in his life and that we still have his words today. God, we're thankful that we can find grace and peace in your son, Jesus. And Lord, we ask that as we look at your word together today, Lord, that you would help us to find our identity in you, that we would trust in you, that we would hope in you, that we would find who we are in you. And so we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, amen. How would you describe yourself to someone that you just met? Who do you think that you are? Would you, would you say I'm I'm a father or a mother or I'm I'm a husband or a wife or or maybe I'm a parent or a child or or maybe I'm happy or I'm depressed or or maybe um I'm I'm filled with joy or maybe I'm I'm filled with sadness and or maybe maybe you would describe yourself as I, well you know I'm successful I'm rich or I'm poor or. Or, you know what, I, I have a lot on my schedule right now, I'm busy. Or maybe you would describe yourself as maybe, maybe you're lonely. Or maybe maybe you, you kind of define yourself by the things that you do, by what you do for a career. Maybe you're, you're employed or you're unemployed. Or uh, maybe you you find your identity in, in the fact that you have some ability and some sway, like you're you you have some power, or or maybe you have a lack of it. See, we we define ourselves in different ways according to the things that have happened in our lives, according to things that we desire in our hearts, and, and our identity shapes everything that we say and do. We, we, we naturally act out of a set of beliefs and desires in our hearts, and our actions and words, they, they spring forward from it, and, and so our identity is everything. It matters, and And Paul, the way he starts his letter here is by talking about his identity and then our identity in Christ. And so it's very intentional the way Paul writes his letters. Um, if, if you think about the way that you've written a letter to a friend before, or, or, let's be real, when was the last time that any of us wrote a letter? We write emails, right? And so whenever we think about the way we're starting a letter, if you still know how to write legibly, I don't have that talent. But, it, you know, kudos to you.) Um, But if you think about the way you're starting a letter to a friend or a family member or someone that's important, whether it's an email or a handwritten letter, oftentimes what we have at the beginning of our letter is very brief, right? We have, uh, you know, and and a long greeting for us is dear so-and-so, right? Normally, we're just like, Mike, comma, and then we start talking, right? Well, Paul... Every single time he writes a letter has a greeting that he has well thought out and prayed about, and it's not unintentional. And when you and I read our Bibles, oftentimes we just kind of glance over it and move on to the good stuff. Well, Paul is starting his letter with the very things that he thinks are most important for Christians, He's starting his letter with the very things that he thinks we need most in life. And so when Paul writes his greeting, don't gloss over it because he's telling you what the rest of his letter is going to expound upon. And so when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, it's not just words. He's telling you who he is as an apostle. And so let's look just quickly at at the idea of who are we? Well, Paul says that he's an apostle, and so what an apostle is, is, is a messenger who is directly commissioned with the authority of the sender. And so what Paul is saying here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he's saying that, listen, what I'm writing to you is something that I've been authorized by Jesus himself to say. And so Paul is a messenger with the authority of Christ himself, and he's speaking to us. And so when we read his words, we read it reverently and with hope that God would speak to us because he says that it's by the will of God that he has this identity. And here's what we have to understand about Paul is that Paul has not always been this way. Paul has not always been this incredible man of God who is serving and laying his life down for the church and for Jesus himself in, in, in writing these things and saying these things and praying these prayers. Paul was a murderer. If you remember back in Acts, he, he sat in approval as, as Stephen was stoned, and, and as they laid the, those who were stoning him laid their garments at his feet, Saul... Saul, who is Paul, sat there in approval as a man was brutally murdered in front of him. And, and he was a persecutor of the church. He dragged men and women out of their homes and into prison just because they served the name of Christ. Paul was a murderer and, and a and slaver and he put people in prison and and he also had this other aspect of his identity that he he believed he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was righteous according to the law and so Paul thought very highly of himself because he thought he was obeying God. And so the Apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, he thought that he was obeying God and doing these things and Paul was... Though he thought he was a good man, he was actually evil. He had incredibly evil thoughts and desires in his heart. Though he thought he was obeying God, he thought he was a religious man, a godly man. And yet he sat in approval of murder and threw people in prison for their religious beliefs. And, and he was responsible for these things. And so whenever I, whenever I think about Paul, um, at least as of late, I've kind of thought about Paul like Thanos from Infinity War. So if you don't know what Infinity War is, um, you're not quite as dorky as I am or some others. But um, I love the Marvel movies. I love them. I think what they have done with the story they're telling is incredible. And, and so Marvel makes superhero comics and movies and and one of their latest ones was called Infinity War, where there's this—you've got all these superheroes and all these villains, and there's this huge war, and and at the center of of it is this guy named Thanos who has a plan, and and he's this huge guy um, that that honestly believes what he's doing is right. He believes that what and what he's setting out to do is to do away with half the population of all of these different planets. And the reason that he's doing it is because he believes that the resources of these planets are being dried up quickly and and that this can't possibly continue. And so his solution is to get what's called the infinity gauntlet, where he has these different stones that give him these abilities, to where he has so much power that he can snap his fingers and half the population is killed, is done away with immediately. And he succeeds. He succeeds. And at the end, he's content because of this. And sorry for any spoilers. (laughs) Meant to say that ahead of time and totally forgot. Um, My bad. It's a great movie. You should still see it. Um, But redeeming Paul is like redeeming Thanos. Paul was a man who approved of people being murdered, who threw people into (laughs) into prison for what they believed. Paul was an evil man who thought he was good. And many of us have been at that, in that place in our lives where we think that we're good. The, the kinds of desires that we have, the things that we want to see accomplished in life, the things that we want to see happen, we think they're good. We honestly believe that. And in reality, we've had blinders on the entire time. We've not realized just how corrupted our hearts have been. And just how evil some of the desires and some of the things that we pursue are. And, and so redeeming Paul, Paul was exactly this way. Redeeming Paul was like redeeming Thanos. It was, Paul was someone who, who, when you looked at him, if you knew Jesus Christ and you saw him, and even there was a man in the book of Acts who did this, he looks at Paul and and God tells him to go and pray for him because he's been chosen by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to take it all over the earth. And, and and this man is looking at God and he's like, are you crazy? Have you seen what this man's been doing? He's imprisoned us. He's thrown us in jail. He's thrown men and women in jail. He has killed or, or at least approved of Christians being killed. And And so the way they would have thought about Paul is that There's no one so far gone as Paul. And I wonder if in in your own life you've had a moment where you thought you were too far gone for God. And I just want to plead with you to hear today because you're not. You're not too far gone for God. There's not a single one of us in this room who has done something so grievous and evil or desired to do something so grievous and evil that God's grace cannot redeem it, that God's grace cannot cover it, and that God's peace cannot be brought. And so maybe you think, you know, just like, just like those would have thought about Paul in the early church, that he's too far gone. There's no way that God can work through a man like this. Well, in reality... It's exactly what God chose to do, because sometimes what God does is he works through the the weak, he works through those who have a terrible perception, he works through those that you would least expect, because he's demonstrating the grace and the glory of who he is, and that's what Paul wants for your life. That's what Paul wants us to experience is God's grace and God's peace. And so Paul, when he says that he's an apostle of Christ by the will of God, this is what he's talking about. This is what God has done in his life. This is what God is using him for despite what he's done. And then we look at our identity. He says, to the saints, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so what is a saint? Well, you know, we tend to think about a saint as someone who's really good, right? They've, they've done amazing things for God. They're, they're holier than we are for sure. And, and they're better than we are. That's how we tend to think about a saint. When in reality, the Bible sees a saint as something completely different. In the Old Testament, um, a saint was a holy one. So the Old Testament people of God are referred to as holy ones several times throughout the Old Testament, and and the reason they're referred to as holy ones is not because of anything that they've done, but because of who their God is. And so holy ones were considered holy and, and saints because they had been chosen by God out of his grace and dedicated to him for his own purposes. And so it had nothing to do with who they were, but everything to do with who God is. And so... This is what we have to see. We have to see that our identity cannot be based upon who we are and what we've done, but on who God is and what he's done for us. And so a saint is not someone that is, just has this incredible moral fiber and character. Though, though a saint, one who has placed their faith in Christ, might have a growing moral character because of who Jesus is, a saint is not someone who has it all figured out. And that's not what Christianity is about. Oftentimes, the sad part is is that people don't even want to go to a church because what they see and what they experience there is that they see all these people dress nicely. They see all these people who seem like they've got it together. And it seems like what they have to do to be a part of that is get their act cleaned up and get, get it together. And that's not true. Because listen, you and I are just as broken as anybody out there. And the only reason we're here is because of God's grace. The only reason that, that Paul would call the Christians that he's writing to saints is because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that they've done or anything inherent in them. It's because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so Paul writes to the saints who are in Ephesus, and Ephesus, uh, this this. This letter of Paul to the Ephesians that we have in our Bible, it is is a letter that doesn't have a whole lot of specific addressing of certain individuals. So when you read throughout the book of Ephesians, you don't see Paul um, calling out certain people. You see Paul writing theological, biblical truths for the people of God. You see a letter written to be circulated amongst different churches because what's contained in this letter that Paul is writing is the very foundations of our faith, and he's telling us what God has done for us. And so Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, not just for the church in Ephesus, but for the surrounding community. And so the reason that it has so much application for you and I today is because Paul was writing a letter to Christians, not just the Ephesians. He was writing to saints, to those who trust in Christ and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul means when he says are faithful in Christ Jesus, when he's kind of expanding this identity of the Christian as a saint of God, he's he's not saying that, again, he's not saying it's someone who's got it together, who is always obedient, who always obeys all the rules and has things figured out. What he's saying is that, What faithful means here is to exercise belief and trust in Christ and what Christ has done. And so we are made faithful not by the things that we do or the things that we accomplish, but by the things that Christ has done on our behalf. We're made faithful because of our union with Christ as we believe in him. His record is credited to our account. And so what Paul is saying when he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus is he's saying, listen, you guys are the ones who have trusted in Jesus. Your identity is not found in the things that you do. It's not found in your job. It's not found in your sexuality or your gender. It's not found in what you've accomplished in life. It's not found in whether or not you feel happy or depressed. It's not found in whether you're confident or worried and afraid. It's found in Jesus himself, and that's where peace and rest is found. That's what Paul is saying as he's writing a letter to those who have trusted in Christ and found their identity in him, and you'll see this phrase, in Christ, throughout Paul's letters, because for Paul, what is so essential to the Christian life is the fact that we are in him, that we are in the one who has redeemed us, that we are united to him by faith, that we are his and he is ours. And so he's writing to these believers because they've trusted in Christ. They're not holier than thou. I mean, the phrase, I'm no saint, that we use sometimes, it illustrates that we've misunderstood what a saint is. Because when we say, well, I'm no saint, what we're, what we're doing is using that phrase as an excuse for our behavior, right? We're using it as, in the sense that we believe that a saint is someone who is better than us, and because we're not a saint, that explains why we act the way we do. And Paul has a totally different conception of saint. Paul says that saints are really bad people who are only made good by the only perfect person. A saint is someone who is really bad who becomes good only by the grace of God because of the only perfect person and that's Jesus Christ. That is what a saint is. That is who that is who we are when we trust in him. And so then we look at Okay, so if this is who we are, this is what God has done in Paul's life and in our lives, transformed them by his grace, what do we need? What do we need as we look at our lives, as we look at our day-to-day routines, as we look at what we experience in life? We talked about the last few weeks, change, and, and how we look to God in the midst of it. Well, what does God provide for us in the midst of change that's so important? This is what Paul tells us in his greeting here. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul says, we need most in life is grace and peace. Paul is not writing an arbitrary greeting like dear Mike. He's writing a profoundly theological and deep and and beautiful prayer for us. This is Paul's, Paul's wish for you and I that we would experience the grace of God that leads to the peace of God. And so the reason Paul begins his letters this way, I think, is because he knows that grace and peace are what we need the very most in life. It's intentional, and it's why we have hope. Here's what uh, Richard Coykin says. He says, Paul wishes them grace and peace in verse two, combining both customary Gentile and Jewish greetings because these will be massively important themes in the entire letter. He will celebrate God's grace as his undeserved kindness and the origin of all of our blessings in Christ. And peace is the summary of all the blessings resulting from being reconciled to God and to each other in Christ. He says, if grace is the origin of God's plan to gather us into the blessings of his church in Christ, then peace is the result of it, which demonstrates in the spiritual realms the triumphant wisdom of the gospel of Christ crucified. Grace and peace, they're intimately connected. There's no way to separate them because if you experienced grace, the grace of Christ, then you, you will experience peace. It doesn't mean that things will always work out the way that you want them to. It doesn't mean that you won't experience pain in a broken and fallen world. It just means that there's a peace that surpasses all understanding and the only way to find it is by the grace of God. God has to reveal it to you. God has to bring it into your heart and life. And he can do it in Christ if you will trust in him. And here's the thing. We have to understand why we need these things. And so I don't know if they had time to find the the image, but if they do, they'll put it on the screen behind me. There's this typical diagram that sometimes we tend to use to explain what Christ has done for believers. On one side, you've got... And, yep, I did get um, On this side, you have what sin has done to us. It's separated us from God, who's over here. And, and then there's this bridge made by the cross of Christ. It's the only way that we get from here to here where God is. We've been separated by our sin and the things that we've done in rebellion against God, the evil that we've committed against one another. It's separated us from him, hidden his face from us. And then the cross of Christ forms this bridge that unites us. But I want you to notice something on this diagram here. Though the bridge is right, this is how we're reconciled to God, the cross of Christ. Look how thin that gap is. See, even in the way that we portray what God has done for us sometimes, we misunderstand how dire our need is. We, we believe that, that, that we are much greater than we are and that God is much easier to access than he is. We believe that the gap is really not that wide and then if there could just be a bridge both then we could kind of get there And, and in reality the gap is so much wider than you can see it on a diagram and the cross of Christ is the only thing that brings us back into relationship with God except it's not just a bridge. It unites us to him. Because the cross is where Jesus took the penalty for the the evils that we have committed, the the desires of our hearts that have been corrupted. Because the cross of Christ happened as we trust in him. We're not just able to walk across a bridge. We are united with him in relationship. Our our need is so much greater than, than we often think we often think it's not, that, it's not that big of a gap. I can just, you know, sometimes we think we can, we can just, you know, we can be a better person and then, you know, God will be cool with us. Well, the diagram has it right that the only way is Christ. But I think sometimes we've misunderstood how wide the gap is. So here's what grace is. What Paul means by grace is he's referring to God's unmerited grace and God's ongoing and sustaining favor towards his people. And so the reason I don't just say it's God's unmerited favor towards his people, that it's ongoing and sustaining, is because just like you don't just need water when you're dehydrated, like I'm feeling right now, um, just like you don't just need water when you're parched, you need water all the time. It's the same with the Christian and grace. You and I don't just need grace to be reconciled to God. We need grace to live the Christian life. God's grace is the only way that we can walk in obedience to him. God's grace is the only way that we can see our lives transformed. God's grace is our only hope. And we don't just need it when we come to Christ, but as we walk with him as well. And so God's grace is what saves and sustains you. God's grace is the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life. God's grace is what covers your sin when when you're married to your job rather than your spouse. God's grace is what enables you to change and love your spouse the way that you should have been when you were loving your job. God's grace is what covers your sin when you've blamed God for all your problems in life. And God's grace is what helps you to trust in him and change and repent and turn the course around. God's grace is what empowers you to do that. God's grace is what covers your sin when you yell at your kids because you're frustrated with them. And God's grace is what enables you to teach them how to walk in forgiveness and love with others. God's grace is what helps you not just to be forgiven, but to forgive and to show others around you what God's grace means. And God's grace covers your sin when when you can't even remember what started this whole thing. When, When you're in that spot in your marriage where you're arguing so often and you're having so many intense problems and fights that you don't even remember what started the whole thing, what the first fight was, or how this happened, you don't even know how you got here. God's grace is what has the power to bring forgiveness for the sins you've committed against your spouse, and God's grace is what has the power to actually bring reconciliation and peace there. God's grace is what is at the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life. And then we need peace. And so when we think about peace, we, we typically think about some sort of conflict or battle that has happened. If you think about war, for example, and then towards the end of a war, there's some sort of treaty that's signed where, where they agree to kind of lay their arms down, and, and there's you know, things like ceasefires, and then the war ends, and it's, it's over. And, and it's because of these documents that have been signed saying, hey, we're not going to bomb you anymore, we're not going to shoot at you anymore, the conflict's done we tend to think of peace like that as though it's just the absence of conflict. And it is the absence of conflict in, in some sense. But the kind of peace that the Bible is talking about is not just a peace that means the absence of conflict. It means something more than that. The, the kind of peace that the Bible talks about is the result of God's grace in your life and in your relationships. And, and it's not just the absence of conflict. It's a restored relationship filled with love the kind of peace that God wants you to experience in your life is is so much greater than just not fighting with your spouse. It's so much greater than having the restraint to not yell at your kids when you're frustrated. It's so much greater than just not being bitter when someone else gets promoted at work. God's peace that is the result of his grace is what enables you and I to actually love our spouse, to love our kids, to love our co-workers and celebrate what's happening in their lives when they get the promotion. God, The kind of peace that surpasses all understanding is not understandable. It's God-given. It's something that comes from God himself. And so what we have to notice here is that this grace and this peace, they're not qualities or characteristics that you can achieve. They're gifts from God. And so what we look at lastly today is that as we find our identity in God, he is the source of grace and peace. He is the source of these things that Paul says we need most in life. Look at what Paul says. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying, even in these first two verses, as he opens his letter, he's not even gotten into the meat of what he's about to say. He's saying, listen, grace and peace are going to characterize everything that I'm about to tell you, and they're what you need the most, and they're only found in God himself. And so we find our identity in God. We find grace and peace in God. And here's how Augustine put it. That kind of turmoil that we experience in life when our, our desires compete with our consciences. And, and it's almost as though, um, the way Isaiah puts it, it's, it's like waves that are being tossed and torn and, and they're crashing into one another. The kind of internal turmoil that we experience in our hearts in life and the kind of turmoil that we experience in our relationships as these things compete and clash with one another. What Augustine said about about finding peace, both internal and external, both personal and relational, is he said that our hearts find rest when they find their rest in you. Talking about God. Augustine said that the place we find our rest is actually a person. It's in God himself, and it's made possible by Jesus Christ his son. And so as we look at our lives as we look at the things that happen, as we think about who we are and what we need, we look to Christ. We look to our God who is unchanging. We look to the God who saves us by his grace and sustains us by his grace. We look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. And as Paul sets up his letter for us, he's he's setting the stage almost as though if, if you imagine a, a stage where a play is about to take place and, and you see all these, you know, or, or you don't see, if it's, if it's really good, you see all these people in black clothing and they come and they set the stage, right? They set the stage for what's about to happen. And what Paul is doing is he's setting the stage for us. He's telling us this is what it's all about. God's grace, God's peace, and they're found in Him alone. And so as we think about the kind of turmoil we experience in life, as we think about our depression and anxiety, the things that we're worried about in life, as we think about our roles as husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, grandparents and, and employees and all sorts of things that we do and experience in life, as we think about who we are, Paul's saying You don't find your identity in those things. The stage is being set so that you would see that your identity can only be found in Christ. He is the source of grace and peace. So would you pray with me? God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you don't leave us to wonder about this life. That you show us what your will is for us. Not that you tell us what's going to happen, but that you tell us what we need. So God, we're grateful for you, and we ask that you might help us to find our identity in you. You are the one that we need, and we pray for your grace and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.